Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, I hope you're having an amazing week. However you're feeling today, I know this episode is definitely going to inspire you to shift into a healthier and more positive mindset. In fact, today we're going to talk about the choices that we do have when we're faced with a situation that we perceive as negative. There are many days, for example, when despite how much I have going on, I feel completely at peace. Even when projects are behind schedule, I have a fight with my husband, or I'm not feeling the best in my body. And there are other times when I could have the exact same kind of day and I don't feel grounded. My reaction is completely different. I'll feel defeated and reactive. I let emotions like fear, shame, and comparison get in my way of feeling good. And although these days do still happen, they are becoming less and less. Because I've learned that when these days show up for us, we can have practices in our toolbox to keep us grounded and our internal world at peace, which makes all of the difference. So I've invited Jackie Canecho, the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute, a research and training dedicated to developing cutting-edge consciousness-based tools for unlocking human potential to join us today. She's an amazing human, one of my dearest friends, who reaches a global audience through her speaking about flow and the mechanics of consciousness. She's a super connector and serves as an advisor on several nonprofits. If you've wondered how to create a life where you feel in constant awe of what comes into your life, you want to face hardship with more grace and ease, or if you're wondering how to tell the difference between fear and intuition, which comes up a lot in my practice, Jackie's got so many answers for you. Awesome. Hey, Jackie, welcome to the show. I'm so, so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. I know we've been talking about getting together for quite some time. We're like passing ships, which is so awkward <laughs> because they're abnormal because usually we're running into each other every single conference. Right. We see each other all over the world. All over the world, which at home has been such a beautiful experience getting to know you because we kept bringing into each other. And I'm like, I guess we're meant to be friends. Like there's no doubt that this is just such a beautiful synchronicity of experiences that are coming together. And since then, you've led workshops at my wedding. You've led workshops for us with our Rising Glen community. You've taught a lot of people that are in our community about this flow state, which you're going to talk about today. And it's just been so powerful going through your course online and seeing what you do every day in terms of transforming lives around the world and talking to people around the world about flow, which I think is often a very confusing topic if you don't know about it and you don't haven't dove into what the actual meaning the science is. I think sometimes people are like, oh, that's so woo-woo. I don't even want to go there. But yet they're not looking at what the science right. behind it is and what it can actually do to transform your life. So to give some people some context around how you got into this work, 
you know, even before you got here, I was like, I don't know how to describe (laughs) what you do, how you do it, like the work that you do at all. So I'm going to let you just take over and really dive, dive into how you got into this work, how you became the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute, how you now are writing this book about flow, the art of effortless living, all of these things that I think are so crucial for shifting your relationship with your body, helping transform your health, your well-being, and then indirectly impacting finances and all the things that people want to attract into their lives for for creating abundance and so forth. Yeah, beautiful. Well, first, I want to start with just a distinction because there's a lot of people talking about flow in the world right now, and most people are talking about flow state, as you said. So, you know, along the lines of set me high brings into the world a Hungarian positive psychologist and talking about these temporary states, these peak states, states of optimal performance, expanded creativity, where you lose all sense of time. And flow states definitely overlap with what we do, but we talk about more flow consciousness. And flow consciousness is more a a way of being. So it's a a stage of psycho-spiritual development. And it's a a whole modality, but it's similar to the more Zen or Taoist concept of Wu Wei, the art of effortless action or non-doing doing. So how I got there is kind of a twisty, windy road and never something that I imagined myself to be doing, but really just surrendering and following the threads. And I would say, to make a long story short, it was really having this crucible moment, you know, which I think a lot of people doing this work in the world have had some type of transformational experience, a a catalyst that kind of launched them into this exploration of who am I and what am I here to do? And for me, it was the death of my brother a decade ago. And at the time, I was living in New York and I was an autism specialist and I really loved the work that I was doing. But, you know, it caused me to really contemplate my own mortality and really ask these big existential questions like, who am I? And, you know, like I said, what am am I here to do? And am I really on my purpose? Because I loved my work, but there was so much more that I wanted to be doing. And at the time, I was living my life for everyone else but myself. So I had a really powerful gift working with these severely nonverbal, often very behavioral children but I could connect with them and get them to be able to communicate in the world. So I had a wait list of clients and people begging me to work with them, often at the expense of my own health and well-being, I would say yes. So I ended up working 14 hours a day, six days a week. I was mentoring and supervising other clinicians and bending over backwards to fit everyone and everything in, but not taking care of myself. So I became really burnt out, got a chronic autoimmune condition, and was really just in this place of needing to really look after myself. And so when my brother Danny died, that was the catalyst to really stop and see if I were truly living my life, for me, what would that look like? And at the time, I knew I wanted to travel the world. But then I had all the reasons, all the excuses why I couldn't go. You know, I had this practice. I had these kids that needed me, a grieving family, and just pushing out into the future this dream that I had to travel. But then with the support of a a therapist that I was working with at the time, we just kind of peeled back a lot of that. And 
four months later, I ended up walking away from everything. My apartment, my car, my practice, my family, my friends, New York, and leaving and doing this year-long trip around the world, which ultimately was my training ground for living in flow. This was teaching me to come into myself and have that introspection and really learn to trust myself, to trust life, to trust other people, learning to hone my intuition. You know, I was in 22 countries that year. A lot of them, people were telling me, you shouldn't go there as a woman. You shouldn't go there alone. There were all of these beliefs about it being a dangerous place and you can't do that. And so really learning to trust my intuition above all else in those scenarios. And and ultimately on that trip, it led me to preparation to climb Kilimanjaro. I ended up at a retreat in Australia. And my intention was just to go and, and get in shape for climbing this mountain. I'd been traveling for nine months and you know, living off of peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> so I wasn't really feeling my best. So I went to detox and do this whole cleanse program and to hike in preparation. But when I got there, it was a treatment center for stress, depression, anxiety. And I was like, no, 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 uh, this is not the place for me. I, we got this all wrong. And I had a lot of resistance to staying there. But I know for myself, I've done enough work to know that when there's resistance, there's something powerful waiting for me on the other side. And so I stayed. And I ended up not hiking at all. <laughs> Maybe did one hike. But I ended up having a really powerful, transformational three weeks practicing mindfulness and this type of guided hypnotic regression work and really reprogramming a lot of the things that were holding me back and had a radically different mindset by the time that I left and such a powerful shift and that it was shifting all of my relationships, shifting my worldview, just radical shifts in perception of real quantum up-leveling. And so that was really a powerful moment for me to just keep stripping away the layers. So over the years, I've just been on this journey of self-exploration and awakening and peeling back all of the layers of conditioning and programming and coming into what I believe to be the essence of who I am and really trying to live from that place rather than I was identifying in the world. And, and so then my life became this series of peak experiences and seemingly unbelievable events and things would just kind of manifest in my life. And people were asking me how I was able to live this way. And I had no idea, you know, it was just kind of this unconscious competence to, that was just how I was living. And I worked with a coach, I worked with Rich Litvin to support me in reverse engineering and kind of figuring it out. So that way I could come to a place where I could teach other people, you know, what were the mindsets, what were the perceptual shifts, what were the tools, the practices, the techniques that got me to live in this way where life felt effortless, where I was able to live in this place of uncertainty being my new comfort zone, just not being in fear, not being in resistance, not having to control life, which for me was a huge shift because I was formerly a total control freak and micromanaging every aspect of my life because I was afraid it was all going to fall apart. So 
I came to put together this concept of flow when studying entrepreneurs, really high-functioning entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, and this idea that they were in a flow state when they were coding and programming. But then something else felt missing around that. I was like, no, I feel like I'm living this way. And so I really came to the understanding that flow is a way of being. And then a friend introduced me to my now business partner, Justin Fairman, and we kind of compared notes and it was like, whoa, where did you, how did you come to this? And there was so much synergy and overlap that we decided to combine our teachings, our tools and practices to create this methodology, flow consciousness and and since then, you know, that was four years ago that we came together. We've been sharing this work in over 17 countries with communities of social impact entrepreneurs and all types of people, really, all over the world. And it's one of those things that I'm in constant surrender because it's definitely not something I imagined that I was ever going to be doing. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And what's so powerful is when I met you and then I started to experience how you lived and other people were experiencing it too. They were like, what is this magic that Jackie has? Like, what is this energy? What is it that she, it's like almost like just moving between, I don't know, my mind, I envision like dimension, but like very much just within the discomfort of the world, within all the chaos, within what we see every day in the news and all of these things. I just see you just like moving between all of it so seamlessly, so easily. And and I would often question before I got to know you, like, is this true? Like, is this real? Is this how you live every day? Just completely energetically grounded in your experience where there is a surrender and trust in the unknown, but yet also that the universe, whatever's coming forward has your back and that it is beautiful in its essence of whatever is presented every single day. And I wanted to ask in that of what's presented, I can imagine that in the last couple of years or as you've developed this process, there's been discomfort. And so I'm curious for the people who are listening, who may have, have the belief that, well, if I was in flow, I would never feel discomfort or I would never feel struggle or there wouldn't be any problems. And we all know that we live in fourth, fifth dimension, whatever reality we're living right. in, right? And there's always issues, whether you're having to pay your bills or your tax, like there's things that come up. And life isn't blissful all the time, every single day. What is your thoughts on this perspective and just your belief in how to move through the discomfort, if that does show up for you, how you handle discomfort and, yeah. and so forth? It's such a great question because for years, people have kind of discounted the way I'm living because they're like, oh, you're just lucky. Mm -hmm. exactly. And as if I'd never experienced hardship and I remember being at a workshop years ago in San Francisco, and I was kind of just talking about my life and the same energy that I had about all of the positive things, whether it's traveling the world or going to these amazing experiences that you and I go to, as I had around the death of my brother. Mm. And so I would say these things from the same energy, and people wouldn't even realize that I just said that, you know, my brother died of an overdose because all they felt was just this acceptance and even okay. gratitude for it. Because one of the principles of flow consciousness is, is practicing radical acceptance and trusting the wisdom of life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes in the moment, it's really hard to see. 
in hindsight is 2020. So looking back, it's easier to trace the threads and really see that life is conspiring in our favor. Mm -hmm. And all of these challenges that we face are here for our growth and our evolution. So it's not that we don't face challenges. It, it Challenges are inevitable. Mm-hmm. Struggle and suffering are mm-hmm. what's optional. Mm-hmm. So when my brother died, you know, that was the hardest thing that I've ever been through. And it definitely took me a lot of processing and inner work to come to this place mm-hmm. of acceptance and gratitude. I didn't just wake up the next day and be like, okay, you know, I'm grateful that he died. Doing this deep, deep work and working through the trauma and being with all of these emotions that I was able to come to see that my brother died to wake me up to my purpose and to what I'm meant to be doing in the world and to be able to help people awaken to the truth of who they are without having to go through this crucible of trauma or death or disease or things like that. And, you know, life is going to happen. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. Car accidents are going to happen. Life is so unpredictable. We can't Mm -hmm. control anything. We can't control other people. We can't control the weather. We can't even control ourselves. You know, we think Mm -hmm. we have free will, but then we have all of this underlying programming and conditioning driving our behavior. So we can't even control ourselves. So really it's coming to this acceptance and surrender and trusting that even when things seem to be falling apart. Sometimes they're really falling Mm -hmm. together. And another great example of this is how I came to, together with my business partner, Justin, was I was, uh, we had met once, someone had introduced us and we connected and there was some resonance there. But then in 2015, after Burning Man, I was so in need of a break. I wasn't feeling well. I was just saw you all over the world (laughs) that year and it was... (laughs) Evented out, peopled out, yep. just kind of in this place of needing a rest and a personal retreat. So I was going to go up to Esalen, and I'd been driving up the coast for the first time. I'd, mm-hmm. Living on the East Coast, I had never done the PCH trip. And so I was excited. I was like, hey, I'm stopping in Santa Barbara. We should connect and kind of see where the synergy is and the overlap in our teachings. But when I got to Santa Barbara, I ended up just crumpled over in pain. I had this mysterious abdominal pain for a couple weeks that had been building and misdiagnosed and treated by the medical community. I was put on a bunch of antibiotics that weren't doing anything. And so I had this mysterious pain that had intensified so much that I needed to go to the emergency room. And I ended up hospitalized for five days with this abdominal infection. And But, you know, I was nomadic at that point, so I probably would have met Justin for lunch and just kept going, Mm -hmm. you know, another day, another city kind of thing. But life had other plans for me. I was strapped to a hospital bed in one of the scariest, most challenging times. I got to spend that time with Justin and his girlfriend. They were the only people I knew in town, and they came to visit every day. And because we had that time together, Mm -hmm. we felt that resonance. And we knew that we needed to work together. Wow. So on one level, it looks like my life isn't working. Mm-hmm. It's not going according to plan. I'm having, you know, so much pain and discomfort. And why is my body failing me and all of these things? But on the larger scale, I needed to have that time mm-hmm. so that way we could come together 
and do this work together. So it's like now, anytime I'm facing a challenge, I get to meet it with curiosity. Like, what's in this for me? What's the gift? And that's not to say it's not going to be hard. There's going to be things that I'm going to have to face, but I have tools now. Mm-hmm. So I get to welcome the fact that I'm facing a challenge and I have an opportunity to see like what needs to be cleared, what I need to work with. And so anytime there's an emotional trigger or a challenge in our lives, we get to use life as a mirror to reverse engineer and like look back and see like what is at the root of that? What's creating this discomfort in my nervous system when I'm feeling emotionally triggered? And then I get to process it and move through it. So that to me is such a gift. So anytime I'm feeling challenged by something in life, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, beautiful analogy and story. I, I love that. I remember when you got sick and I remember coming to you and being like, this is the worst. Like, I, I wasn't like energetically holding this is the worst thing, but I remember being worried about you. I remember you had, sh- you had come over to my home, I think maybe like a while after and you were like, yeah, I had this you rarely ever share the discomfort stories. And so for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is massive. And like your presence and you were so calm and you were like, yeah, and I'm grateful for it. And that was like the end of the conversation where most people would have gone into the blame, the, you know, all of the things that we hold on to, And then we hold the story for so long and then it lives in our consciousness and our being. And then we manifest from that that place. I know when my second mom passed away, I was in a lot of blame and anger and I went to a healer and she said, she didn't know me, but she, she had a sense of, I guess she was intuitive, but I was sharing with her that I had a second mom and she was like, well, this is a great opportunity for you to heal your relationship with your first mom. And it was like that moment that it clicked that I was like, wow, my mom had to leave. She was like my first point of motherhood relationship. And I was like, she had to leave in order for this other healing to take place with Mm. my mom that would transpire into healing for my pregnancy and so forth someday. But it is, it's like changing the conversation in our minds and the mindset around radical responsibility and that self-responsibility piece. I'm curious if you have any tools for that, because I think that's the number one place people get stuck because we live in a world where social media, social conditioning, we're so programmed to blame everything outside of ourselves. And it's so easy to do because it's like, well, economy sucks. We have a really shitty president. We have, you know, my teacher didn't know how to teach me right for this stuff. Like there's so many things that it's easy to place blame. And so I'm curious from your perspective of like how to break the norms and how to like get out of the cultural conditioning while not blaming it. Yeah. I mean, that's a a really great question. And yeah, it's so much easier to Mm -hmm. blame external circumstances and other people and not really hold up the mirror Mm -hmm. and and look and take responsibility Mm -hmm. for everything that's happening in our lives. But if we, even just as a thought experiment, take that on, like, what if I'm responsible for everything that's showing up in my reality? We're looking for the places where I might be contributing to it, not wholly responsible, but mm-hmm. but really looking within. And so, you know, I've been supporting some people in relationship. And when, when two people come together with their wounding, it's easy to say, oh, well, this person did this and she shouldn't have done that and he shouldn't have done that. And the work is to really look at, okay, well, how am I showing up? And to to look within and see, like, what are the beliefs that I'm carrying? I'll talk about this 
framework that we use called BETDAR. Mm. And BETDAR is B-E-T-D-A-R, and it stands for Beliefs, Emotions, Thoughts, Decisions, Actions, and Results. So you get to look at whatever situation is showing up in your life, whatever emotional trigger you're feeling, and reverse engineer it, come back to that, like what is at the core, because our beliefs create our emotional state. Everyone thinks there's this law of attraction, thoughts become things, but it's like, well, where do your thoughts come from? Mm -hmm. Your thoughts aren't just randomly generated. There's a layer of belief at the core that creates the emotional state, the emotional response, which influences the thoughts that you think, which then in turn influences the decisions you make, the actions you take, and ultimately the results that you get. So when something is challenged in your life, you get to look back and, and ask what you're making it mean about you or just keep drilling down till you get to the root. And there's so many insidious core beliefs mm-hmm. that are holding people back. So whether it's, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm separate, I'm not lovable, you know, I have to work hard to be successful, you know, I have to be a good girl, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many of these programmed conditioned beliefs that influence the way that we show up in the world. So really starting to look for what those are and and work through them. And so a big part, about 60% of flow, flow consciousness is about doing that inner work and not just having the awareness of it, but really like deep reprogramming at the mental, emotional, energetic, and physical level. So really like working with where these beliefs live in our energy field, in our in our bodies, um, you know, the somatic element is so important because we're carrying around these traumas that were imprinted sometimes from our ancestors and passed on epigenetically. So we have all of these things. It's like we think we come into the world as a blank slate, but we don't. We're taking on these fear programs, these lack programs, these scarcity programs, and these imprints from from our ancestors, and then we're being programmed through you know, culture, religion, media, our, our families, our teachers, all of these external sources. We're taking on all of these beliefs. We're imprinted with them at such a young age, and then not really realizing that that's subconsciously influencing our behavior. Mm-hmm. So, once we start to look at those, because and like I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. so I, I had a lot of a lot of shame programming, mm-hmm. a lot of guilt programming, and that influenced how I showed up in the world, how I interacted with people, how I showed up in relationships, and in my self worth. All of that was deeply influenced and connected to being raised in this particular religion. And once I started to look at some of that and work through that, I could show up differently. Yeah. It's so powerful. I remember going and questioning the Catholic religion. I kept being like, why am I being shamed for being who I am? And not that there's anything wrong with whatever religion you're choosing. But for me too, I, I was questioning those beliefs as a child. I was like, I feel like in, in this space, I can't be who I am fully. And there was such a disconnect for me growing up. And I remember even like fighting back and being like, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in heaven. I believe in this consciousness to be forgiven and we get to reincarnate and we get to have multiple lifetime experiences. And for like a little girl to be saying these things in the middle of church was like not a good thing. And then I had a story that I couldn't speak my truth Mm -hmm. because my voice was shut down. 
And so I just share that because that was something that only through deep meditation and reprogramming work could I trace back to that story wow. and say, wow, that's a story that I can't share. And I was closing off my throat. All these things started manifesting in my physical body. Right. And so it's this trickle effect. And until, like you said, we reverse engineer it and go back to the root cause, could be many lifetimes before, but it's the problem I see so much, especially in the health and wellness world is like, let's band-aid approach mm -hmm. the problem, but then the root cause is never being fully healed. And so the physical manifestation of sickness just continues right. to get worse and worse and worse because it's like, hey, wake up. I'm showing you what needs to be healed, but we're not listening. Right. Most people are so disconnected mm -hmm. from the body. We're living from the neck up and don't really realize the mind-body connection is so powerful and that, yeah, so much of our physical illness is an emotional root cause. So, yeah, and like you said, this is not bashing religions. It's really just, we're taught to just kind of blindly obey things mm -hmm. and follow the rules and, and not question things. Right. But if we start to look at where did that thought come from? Where did that belief come from? Right. You know, and what makes that true? So, kind of operating on this assumption that this really challenged me when I heard it the first time, this idea of non-duality and that there is no such thing as good or bad. There is no such thing as right or wrong. And I was like, what do you mean? Of course there is. And again, that's where that religious programming came in that I had such strong morals and values and there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it created some suffering in my life that I wasn't realizing so instead, just again, as a thought experiment, taking this on, seeing that humans are meaning-making machines, mm -hmm. like we get to interpret everything and assign a meaning, but we do it to match our already existing beliefs. So we have this cognitive bias that filters all of the information that's coming at us and sorts it according to what matches our existing worldview. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're operating in these echo chambers and silos unless we start to question that and break out of it. And so when we operate on this idea that, well, what if nothing is inherently good or bad? What if everything is neutral and I get to assign it a meaning, right? An event like my brother's death is the fact is, the objective fact is that my brother died. But the way it's perceived, you know, my parents, my family, you know, might see it as, a bad thing that it shouldn't have happened. He died too young. He should still be here. Parents shouldn't outlive their children. There's all of these mm -hmm. belief structures around death that are creating struggle and suffering. Mm -hmm. Whereas I am seeing the perfection in it. You know, who's to say that we should live to any particular age or that we shouldn't die a certain way and now finding the gratitude like we talked about. Yeah. So, I'm finding the positive in it. So both are right, you know? Mm -hmm. How do you say one is better than the other? It's just a, a different perceptual frame. Right. So, you know, we get to choose the meaning for everything that's happening in our life. So why not choose an empowering one? Mm -hmm. But most people are operating with these faulty perceptions mm -hmm. and these kind of foggy lenses mm -hmm. tainted by these conditioning and programming and these limiting beliefs and emotional patterns and traumas. Mm -hmm. And we're operating from wounding, so we can't really see and end up choosing these lenses, these frames that create more struggle and suffering than need to be there. 
Hey there, friend. Are you loving this podcast? I want to continue to support you. So the simplest way to do this is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and pop into the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you never, ever miss any details of our new projects, products, upcoming events, or issues that are near or dear to my heart. You're also gonna get access to the movement. This is the inner circle of people just like you standing in their power to bring more truth and a new level of consciousness where all individuals get to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So pop on over to sarahannstewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. Yeah, it's such an interesting way to view the world. My husband and I were having this conversation the other night about changing our beliefs, and we're working with a coach right now on doing that around just because we've been working really, really hard at our businesses to have more financial freedom and have more success and to have more material things and so that we're ready for parenting. All these things that we both have worked really, really hard at, but under that is still a similar discomfort, right? And so it's like, sometimes we want more things, but it doesn't shift the amount of discomfort in our life. And we all think, okay, well, once I have the finances, I'm going to be free. Once I have the marriage, once I have the kids, but if we don't heal and shift the internal experience of how we're operating in the world, then like they say, more money, more problems. Like it just brings about more of the discomfort within ourselves unless we're shifting the internal experience on how we relate. So we could have related the same way to our finances when we had much, much less or as we have now, or maybe someday when we have much, much more. But until we do that work and we were like sitting there being like, isn't it so weird that we've attracted the same sort of discomfort for (laughs) four years now? We're like, this needs to shift. Like we need to shift this experience. And I think that that's what happens is people are, we're linear thinkers. So we think, move forward, go to the front, like up there, there's going to be something in the future that's going to heal this discomfort in myself. And so I'm curious in terms of shifting sort of those belief systems, do you find being in the present, healing the past, like what are some things that you do with your clients to work through that, that disconnect that comes up where they're like, fuck, nothing's going to be good ever, you know, or, or they're not realizing that they're continuing to chase the same problem in a different context. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is yes, all of it. All of it, right? There only ever is the present. And the more we're living in the present moment, the less we're in the anxiety about the future or the worry, Mm -hmm. depression with the grieving our past or what never happened or all of these other things. So the more we can heal the wounds from the past and in whatever way really resonates with us. There's there's so many different modalities to process our ancestral trauma, like the trauma that we've had in this lifetime, working with the beliefs and the emotional patterns, really working with all of that, but seeing where we don't actually need anything outside of ourselves. And we're chasing this illusion of safety and security which, you know, doesn't really exist. And so no matter how much money you have, you can still be in lack and scarcity Mm -hmm. and fear Mm -hmm. just based on whatever your underlying programs are. So working through those, but also something you said is that we're linear thinkers. Right. And that's another big piece about flow consciousness is really reorienting towards intuition as your primary mode of processing. 
because our intuition is nonlinear. It's interfacing with the quantum field so we can access so much more information than our logical, rational minds can because mm. our minds are inherently limited and we have all of these glass ceilings based on our belief structures, what we think is possible. So when we're tapping into our intuition, and again, this is challenging for people because most people are operating from the neck up, aren't connected to their bodies, aren't connected to the felt sense, have so much interference in their nervous system, don't trust their intuition, but our intuition is really what's going to support us in making decisions that are most in alignment with our higher self and, and not weighed down by all of the, the programming and the traumas. So the more people can operate from that place, from intuition, you're not going into trying to figure out life and how things work. You, know, you might have these goals and objectives, but you don't need to know the how. Mm-hmm. So really learning to surrender to not figuring things out and tuning into your intuition to guide you. I mean, there's been so many steps along my path that make no sense. Right. And other people are projecting their fear onto me. You know, when I was yeah. traveling the world, I didn't yeah. have a home for several years. And and people would ask me, where are you going to stay tonight? I'm like, I don't know, you know, trust that something's going to show up. And something beyond my wildest expectations right. would show up. And at one point I wanted to to work with this mentor and it was going to cost $75,000 to work with him, which, you know, I looked in my bank account. I was like, I don't know how that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then right after that, I was invited to go live and work in Saudi Arabia with the former mayor of Mecca and was living in this palatial mansion. Wow. And it's like my logical mind would never have created that as a possibility mm-hmm. trying to figure out the how. Right. But trusting and and following those threads of excitement, inspiration, intuition is what leads us along the path. Mm-hmm. So when we can have intuition be our compass right. rather than our our thoughts and our, our rational mind, mm-hmm. that's where the gold is. Do you think people are scared to shut down the world and not get the opinions and because they're terrified of their own intuition? I think, well, I can say for my former self. Yeah. When I felt challenged by something or there was a situation where I didn't really know what to do, mm-hmm. I would ask everyone. Yeah. I would call all my friends mm-hmm. and I would hang up with one, call another because I needed to get everyone's perspective because I didn't trust myself to make the right choice. Mm. And what would happen was I would ask a friend, they would say something and I'd be like, eh, yeah, that does, yeah, that's not it. So I would kind of choose the one that felt like most like what, what I wanted anyway. Yeah. But I didn't trust myself to yeah. make that decision. And because I had a lot of childhood trauma and kind of desensitized my felt sense and, and my nervous system because it wasn't safe for me to feel, I had to really learn to tap into that. Mm. It's something that we all have the capacity for. It's right. our fundamental biological wiring. You know, we're all intuitive by nature. It's how animals navigate the world and know what plants are safe to eat. And so we all have this capacity. It's just we haven't used it because our society doesn't value it. It's been shut down by our our teachers or Mm -hmm. along the way, we've been told that we have to strategize, rationalize, think things through. And it's not to say there's no place for that. It's just that 
this is a much more powerful way. So yeah, it's something that that people can learn to feel and trust that sense again. Yeah, I think on the other side of that, in the process of trust, then we have to take responsibility for what we chose. And I think that that's what scares people. It's like, there's no longer that blame. Like they can blame someone else because they'd be like, oh, my sister told me to do this. My mom told me to do this. Right. It's like your full radical responsibility because you're like, my intuition told me to do this. I remember when I left for, when I left the modeling industry and I packed my bags and went across the world, I shut down my social media. I shut down everything. I didn't tell anyone. My dad found out I was in New Zealand after the fact. And, and I remember I was like, I don't want anyone to change my mind. Like this is, I knew in my heart is a hundred percent what I needed to do. And that was one thing that just shifted everything for me. It was like that defining factor where I was like, no longer am I going to ask other people for the things that deeply matter to me and the Mm. things that I need for my life. Granted, I still, of course, you know, to this day will have conversation about decisions I'm making, but I would say 99% of the time I'm already committed to to what it is. And now that I've built that strength, it's easier to not allow someone to veer me off where yeah. I can see in the moment, oh, wow, that's a projection of their own insecurity. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a projection of the fact that they didn't get to go do this in their youth. This right. is a projection of the fact that they are desiring to have a family right now. Maybe it's not happening. And and I can hold love and compassion for the projections mm-hmm. and still have my calling and move forward without their projection impacting me. And so it's really beautiful when we become this mirror of of everyone else and we're like, okay, thank you for the opinion, but I'm no longer going to move forward in that. Yeah. And again, like I was a people pleaser mm-hmm. in my past and would kind of contort myself into a pretzel to mm. make sure everyone liked me yeah. and we were on good terms. And so that learning was profound for me, being able to do what I knew to be true, despite the consequences, despite what other people would think, despite what other people would say. And that was, you know, I think I was sharing this story with someone yesterday. A really profound moment for me was when my brother died, I was en route to Mauritius, just tiny little island off the coast of Madagascar, which isn't really the place you go when you have a week off in New York. (laughs) It takes forever to get there. But I was really in that place of burnout, and I really needed a vacation. And my friend in London was like, let's go. I have this trip. And I was on the way and in the airport in South Africa when I got the news about my brother. Mm. And I was collapsed on the floor of the airport, just wailing. And I had to make a decision because I had one more flight to go on to Mauritius or to go back home to New York in this state where it was just absolutely destroyed and took 30 hours to get where I was already. And I decided to go on to Mauritius and then I would figure it out when I got there. And once I landed in Mauritius and got to the villa and was like standing in front of the ocean at twilight and there was one star in the sky I just knew, I had this mm-hmm. profound knowing that this is where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And then right away, my mind was like, oh, but you can't do that. People are going to judge you for staying on vacation. And, you know, what are people going to say when you come back tan? And what kind of awful sister are you? They're going to, you know, they basically had to hold up the funeral mm-hmm. until I got back. But I knew that that's what I needed. Yep 
for myself mm-hmm. and for my healing. And I chose to stay despite like whatever fears I had about people judging me. Mm-hmm. And maybe they did, yeah. you know, in the end, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually care, mm-hmm. but it was the first time that I chose myself instead of people pleasing and choosing what everyone else would think and, mm-hmm. and really trusting my intuition when it didn't make sense. And it's never let me down. Yeah, I have like goosebumps. I'm like, like, I have like goosebumps everywhere. Just like flashbacks in my own life of moments where I was just like, I can operate from the projections and the worry and the fear and the judgment of all of what everyone else is going to think. Or I'm just trusting that this is where I'm going to be at the time I need to be for my evolution, for my consciousness, for where my growth experience on this planet. And I think when you can ask yourself, that question like is this my truth is this you're gonna get that answer every single time yeah so in reading your intuition is not hard it's taking action from that place that trips people up right because we have all of these fears and Mm -hmm. doubt and Mm -hmm. all of these other things running in the background yeah so i'm curious that was going to be my next question the difference between intuition and fear because I think sometimes also people do the reverse mm. where they're like living from a fear place and then they think, oh my gosh, I have to act right now and do X, Y, and Z because my intuition is telling me right. and I'm like, okay, check yourself for a moment because I've been in that space mm-hmm. many times and I'm like, you're actually operating vibrationally from a state of fear, not right. actual intuition. And so I think it's really important to discern. Do you have something that happens in your body or some way that yeah. you can discern between these two? Totally. So, you know, again, because I had to learn this, Mm -hmm. you know, I really had to learn to come into my body. So doing a lot of somatic work and body-based work, breath work, things like that, really, the more I cleansed and purged my nervous system of, well, physically, along with the work that you do, really just like purifying your body as much as possible, eliminating toxins from your diet, from, you know, your household, the more your system is pure, the more you're going to be able to tune into the subtle felt sense in your nervous system. Same with the emotional purging, clearing out all of the stuck energy in my field, in my body, doing the inner work to to move through so that way there isn't static and noise and interference in the system so I can tell what's what. That said, my intuitional signature, I'd like to talk about Everyone has kind of this unique flavor of how intuition shows up for them. You said you got the chills. A lot of times people, you know, will have the hair on their arms stand up or full body chills. For me, I have kind of this claircognizant knowing. Mm -hmm. There's like a profound knowing that I just know. There's no reason why. Mm -hmm. I just know. Mm -hmm. And I I can trust that now and act on, make huge decisions like turning down funding for visions and and choosing the thing that doesn't make any sense at all based Mm -hmm. on just that knowing. Also, you know, sometimes I'll feel like tingles down my spine, but everyone kind of has their unique way that it shows up for them. So getting in tune with what that feels like. And the difference is your intuition is a felt sensation. So there's a difference between a, a feeling and a sensation. A sensation is just the energy that you're feeling in your body. Does it feel light and expansive? Does it feel contracting and heavy? Or is there like a darkness to it? Paying attention to what that sensation is. 
And then if you're having an experience of, if you know it as fear and you're having thoughts that are aligned with fear, then it's you're interpreting that felt sensation through the the lens of your perception, your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So your intuition's not going to communicate through emotions. That's a sign that it's gone up into the mind. Mm-hmm. So it's it's purely just going to feel like this felt sensation. And so if someone's not attuned to what that is like for them, they can start maybe like dipping a toe in the water and maybe not making huge life decisions from that place, but really taking on a practice from, I'm sure you do a lot of intuitional eating with right. your clients. And and so what does my body actually want in this moment? Mm-hmm. And feeling into it, does it really want a donut? Probably not. You know, and, and our, there's a difference between our compulsions and our intuition. So it, again, if we have a lot of unhealed wounds, it's going to be more difficult to navigate that. But your intuition is never going to say, have 10 donuts for breakfast, you know, because totally. that, totally. that's, you know, you're feeling the the energy yeah. around because your intuition is always in alignment with what's highest best and, and best for right. you and for humanity and for the earth. So, but it'll point to those places mm-hmm. where we're not healed. Mm-hmm. And so it'll show us all of where there's still resistance, where there's fear, where there's shame, all of those other things. So yeah, it, it's a practice. Yeah, I love that. And similar to cravings, you know, listening to your cravings and knowing, is it that this is what my body actually wants? Or is this something that is coming from a place of wounding where I'm trying to suppress? What do I not want to feel right now? Right. What Where's the discomfort in my body? What am I trying to push away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's so much easier when you have tools. I think, you know, in my past, I didn't want to feel anything. So I had a lot of compulsive behaviors so many of them, but it was because I was afraid to feel the feelings. But now feelings are a portal. They're a gateway to, you know, for me, for for higher consciousness, but also just to to really live in this rich tapestry of life, to not be stuck in this limited bandwidth, you know? So right. it's like the more I'm willing to feel my sadness, my anger, my grief, my shame, the more that opens up on the other side, because the pendulum's going to swing, and then I get more bliss, more joy, more gratitude, more aliveness. And there was a time where I was, I was just so scared to feel any of those things. In fact, I just had a, a deep, deep healing ceremony a few weeks ago and released a lot of grief. And whether it was mine or my family's grief, I don't know, but it felt there was like a mix of joy and grief at the same time because the release of grief was just like, oh, I just felt this density leaving Mm -hmm. my body and this lightness and freedom just crying and purging this sadness and things that I hadn't processed around my brother's death or thought I did. And it was like, oh, I've reached, you know, another layer because the work doesn't necessarily end. It's we're evolving on this spiral. And and as we, we move up, it opens us to another level of safety where we can look at the deeper things that we couldn't see before. Yeah. While I was in Ibiza, one of my best friends was like, she didn't say it like this, but basically she was stating that it's time for me to do another level of healing in terms of my relationship with my mom. And she was like, I'm feeling intuitively that there's a sense of joy that you're not experiencing 
Mm. And I'm like, I'm one of the most joyful people I know, you know, like my ego, like got in the way and was like, basically declaring to her, like, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm 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 so happy. happy. Like, again, I went into comparison in relationship to everyone around me. But then I stopped myself and I took a deep breath because we were doing a share circle and it was part of a process that she was giving us. But but I stopped myself and I said, well, what if there's another layer of joy that I don't even know yet? Mm-hmm. Or like that I haven't even tapped what that feels like because it's just a feeling and an mm-hmm. experience that we, we hold in our body. I'm like, am I willing to do this next level of deep healing in order to feel that? Why would I not be? Where's right. the resistance? And when I thought about it that way, I'm like, why would I not be willing to go through the struggle, the pain, whatever it is that's in a short amount of time in, in relationship to our whole lives to reach that joyful experience on the other side. Yeah, totally. And it's like, we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. And so we have this idea of like how good we can feel based on how good we felt in the past. Mm-hmm. And I remember working with um, an acupuncturist in Bali who was telling me that I could have so much more energy and physical vitality. And like you said, my ego was like, are you kidding? I'm like so active. I'm doing all these things and I feel great. And he's like, you have no idea how much better you can feel. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sign me up for that. So yeah, it's, it's really in the past 10 years and each year it gets better and better. And I feel more and more emotionally free because I've been willing to go into the depths and into the shadows and and be with all of those things, that now I just I feel so much bliss, so much joy, and just feel this calm serenity. For a while, I was like, oh, balance. You know, balance is a dirty word. I don't want, you know, I was like, because I lived a life of extremes right. because that's what I needed to feel alive mm-hmm. because I was a, I couldn't feel anything because mm-hmm. I numbed myself mm-hmm. so much that I needed to jump out of planes yep. and do crazy things in order to feel anything. Yep. And now I've come into this place of harmony and balance and calm that no matter what's happening around me, I can feel good. Mm-hmm. And I just feel this peacefulness and this equanimity that I never had before. And again, it's not that I've got it all figured out and that I never experience Right. challenges. It's just I dance with them. I navigate it so much more differently. Yeah. It's so beautiful. When Craig and I met, we were we were both people that needed people around us all the time to feel alive. Like we needed other people to stimulate us and like to be in the action and so forth. So when we met, we we're like, this is a perfect match. <laughs> and then we like burned ourselves out. We were like, what is the real story that's going on here? It was like, it was like, oh, we're attached to the ego part of like being with people and being around people yeah. and community and all these things, which community is a beautiful thing. But I'm like, why are we not? Yeah. What is the story that we're holding instead of taking the time to find this balance? And why can we not find the stimulation and the peace and the happiness just at home on our couch? Totally. Reading a book. Like, why is this occurring in the way that it is? And so I think when we get out of balance, and again, like you said, balance is a hard word to to identify the meaning behind it's different for everyone. But um, I think when you're out of it, your body knows it because your body's always in homeostasis or it's mm-hmm. trying to be. Um, and so when when your body's out of balance, it's like we have to tap that part of our intuition and bring ourselves yeah. back. Yeah, so doing the opposite of what you normally do is another one of the principles because it's going to show you 
where you have these habitual conditioned behaviors and why you might be doing these things, but also, you know, finding the gift in the shadow, right? Mm-hmm. So there is so much benefit to being in community and you've built such an incredible community and have so many amazing people in your life and so many people that love you, which is great. And, you know, I know for myself that, you know, my superpower, one of them is that I'm a connector. Mm-hmm. And I have this extraordinary ability to find people the exact person they need to meet or resource that they need. But it comes from this place of when I was young, I needed everyone in my life to stay in my life. You Mm -hmm. know, so everyone I ever met from the time I was a kid, I was like, will you be my best friend? And, you know, I would stay in touch with them because I was afraid of them leaving. That would mean that I wasn't good enough or there was something wrong with me or I was going to be alone or whatever these deeper wounds were. But that created and cultivated this incredible network of human beings in my life. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's always a a gift to every aspect of our shadow and really looking at those and and doing the opposite can show us those places. It's so so beautiful. I'm so thankful. I am thankful you're here. I'm doing the work. We're doing it together. We have a community of people that are also in it so we can bounce ideas around each other. I wanted to get into, before we end, because it's so, so important, right before the podcast, we were talking about the cultural conditioning of beauty and these things that I teach a lot about, but oftentimes return to you and turn to other experts to really help people break down the belief system of what beauty is and how it's culturally conditioned and how we're basing our entire self-worth on the comparison model to other women. And now with social media, it's like a whole nother thing. Yeah. So I just wanted to get your opinion on this and any takeaways or things that people could apply to really shift this idea and this program belief that beauty is a specific set of standards that we both know is so false. (laughs) Totally. And you know, beauty is when we're living from our essence and energy And it's one thing to know that and another thing to, you know, then face all of the beliefs and programming that we have. And and I've been in that too, just really looking at all of the places where I've carried so much shame around how I look and how my body is. And I was like, where does that come from? Because I don't remember having all of these things as a child, but growing up, I read all of these magazines and I feel like that alone, I took on so much programming around, you know, I, I developed early mm-hmm. and so have a, a curvy body, which wasn't represented in the magazine. So there was all of this programming around, well, this is what you're supposed to look like. And so naturally by default, it's like, if you don't look like that, then there's something wrong with you or, you know, you're not worthy, you're not going to be lovable, you're going to be alone forever, like whatever the, the story is. Mm-hmm. And so girls and women are marketed to so hardcore through the beauty industry, through magazines, through from modeling. Mm -hmm. It's just telling women that they're not going to be enough and that aging is not okay and they're not going to be worthy. And, And so even in our communities where, you know, people have done so much work and are so evolved, there's still such deep programming around that. So it's really imperative, especially for our children, to not pass on mm-hmm. these programs and really 
valuing children for who they are and, and their unique gifts in the world and, and not making it based on achievement or how they look and things like that. So I think we owe it to future generations to really do that work to break ourselves free. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot there to work through in the Western world yeah, and in the developed world. Yeah. And do you recommend like in the moment of recognizing the discomfort in your body, like let's say you look at a magazine and you see, and you start to feel right that moment of that discomfort. Cause I think that that's what comes up, the comparison or the fear or the anxiousness, or I'll never get a husband because I don't look like that. Or I'll never have a partner that loves me for the rest of my life. Or I need to go get plastic surgery or whatever the story is that comes up in that moment. What kind of practices do you teach to basically shift that belief in the moment? Is it pattern interruption? Is it recognizing how your body's holding tension? Like what are, what are just a few things people can do in the moment? Because I think if we can create the awareness that it's happening and then create the shift, yeah, that's the most powerful part because then our mind reprograms in our pathway that that's totally. not how to operate in that scenario again. Yeah. So in our work with people, we use a lot of different tools that I wouldn't be able to explain on the podcast. But, you know, again, just going back to that mindful questioning Mm -hmm. and noticing the discomfort, Mm -hmm. noticing the emotional trigger, noticing where you're going into comparison or shame or whatever, and using that as an opportunity to see, like, what am I making this mean about Mm me? What must I believe in order to be having this emotional experience and really getting down to what that is mm-hmm. and then questioning the validity of it. Is that like, is that is really tr- true? Yeah, yeah. And starting to find the opposite of that reasons why it's, it's not true and noticing where the programming comes from, but then taking on a more empowering belief right. and starting to act as if that's the belief that we have and working to rewire that neural pathway and then finding evidence that supports the new empowered belief, you know, so I don't know, what was one that you gave an example of? Like, I will never find, like, if I don't lose this weight, I will never find my life partner. My right. Husband. Yeah. So, I mean, there's however many billion people in the world, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it's like, it's so inaccurate because there's so many couples that are perfectly happy and found incredible love and are not stick thin or don't look a certain way. And so just finding models of possibility in the Mm -hmm. world or models of possibility in our, whether we know the people or not, who is the living embodiment of what you want want. in your life? Because if it's available for them, it's available for you too. It's in your field. So the recognition like, oh, other people have found love and they don't fit this societal standard of beauty so really recognizing kind of the ridiculousness and the erroneousness of that belief, mm-hmm. coming back to it and working to rewire that neural pathway. Yeah, I love that. I recently was with Alexi Panos, who's a friend of both of ours, and I was sharing with her my fear of pregnancy and she was like, oh, what? Like you just need empowered women who have empowered birth stories to be around you and rally this new belief system yeah. in your mind. And it was like, it was like just this moment because I hadn't shared that truth with really anyone mm. before. And I was open to sharing it with her because she's pregnant and has this, this beautiful mother and really inspires me in motherhood. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, you need to be around women who just change your belief that birth is one of the most empowering things. Like it made me who I am and mm. brought so much into my life that I would never have had without going through that experience. And like in that moment, everything 
shifted. Like I was like, okay, great. Like I'm going to go find references in the world. No longer am I going to operate from a place of all of these people who share their horrible experiences. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to find the references of women who this has been the most spiritual thing they've ever gone through. And I'm going to attach myself to those stories and live by that moving forward. And it was such a simple shift. You know, it was like one moment in one conversation. And then I like my reference point now is completely different. Yeah. And so it it can happen quicker than what we... Absolutely. And sometimes it's that easy. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like at some point you believed in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus or something. And then, you know, one of your siblings ruined it for you for the rest of your life. But, and sometimes it can shift just like that. And other ones are kind of more deeply rooted and anchored in by these emotional patterns and traumas. And that's going to take the work of the support of a coach or therapist, a healer, or working with different programs or medicines and things to really like uproot those more insidious ones. But, you know, sometimes it can just be finding that model of possibility and shifting the focus, choosing to find, because both realities exist, coming back to that non-duality. There is the reality where birth is painful and horrific and all of these horror stories exist. And then there's the stories of orgasmic births and, Mm -hmm. you know, just really empowering stories, both are true. Right, right. So it's like, what do you want to put your focus and your your attention and energy into? Yeah. And now that you're mentioning like that, sometimes it does take longer. I'm like flashing back to all of the work that I did up into the point where Alexi came into my life right. and brought that awareness like in that moment because right. of it all was of the seated coaching. already yeah, and then it's it already seated. Clicked. And I had done the work through therapy and hypnosis and, and a bunch of other modalities. And so in that moment, it was an easy sort of shift for me, I think, because I had already done a lot of, of the reprogramming around it, but I was still carrying that belief. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so beautiful. I'm curious for the listeners, where is the best place to like connect with you, learn more about your coaching? I know you have a brand new coaching program that just came out, right? Or is it coming out? Uh, It's launching soon. Launching soon. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Um, So if people want to take your courses, read your content, all of those things, where can they find you guys and what's the best place for them to connect? So the best place is probably our website, mm-hmm. flowconsciousness.com or flowconsciousnessinstitute.com. And there we have all of our different offerings or training programs. We have training programs both online and in person. The new program that we're launching is Flow for Founders, and it's a, a four-month program for founders and CEOs. We also do immersions and one-on-one work with people. So there's all different ways to work with us on social media. I'm not the best person for for posting things regularly as we were talking about before. It'll be lots of flowers and trees. <laughs> <That's cute. laughs> I'm a crazy plant lady, but um, but yeah, I'd love to connect on on any of the socials or send us a message through our website. We also have a masterclass on our website to get a little download, a microdose of flow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So definitely go, go there, download it, get connected. And then I would highly, highly recommend the course. And if you're a founder, CEO, the new one that's coming out, because from going through the program and then also seeing a lot of people in my community and people that we know go through it, it's just been really beautiful to see their experience and how they've transformed. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing to, to take action and in terms of your relationship with food and your body, all of this indirectly and directly impacts that. So even if it's like, okay, well, I just want to manifest more 
finances or abundance and you're going in for that, it will indirectly still shift your relationship with food and your with body and your health and your wellness your because I just think everything is massively interconnected and we can't shift one without shifting all of it. And so, yeah. So thank you so much for being here. I'm oh, so grateful. So good. So juicy. Thank yeah, you for having me. You're so welcome. All right, love. Now it's time to embody all of this amazing wisdom from Jackie. This week, give yourself permission to simply slow down and pay attention to what habits are no longer serving you. And then ask yourself what old beliefs are keeping these habits alive. As silly as it may sound, I highly recommend carrying around a journal. And in the moment of realization, when you recognize a way of being that isn't serving you, jot it down. I've realized over many years that when I write down how I feel in the moment and what is coming up for me, I can quickly unpack what contributed to my mood, frustrations, pain, and triggers. And then it's easier to identify the story that is creating that suffering. Journaling can allow you to become more conscious the next time and make simple adjustments. And every time you make these little adjustments, whether that's something small, like changing something in your environment, getting a head start on a project, taking time to pause throughout your day, or waking up 10 minutes earlier for meditation, all of these adjustments make a big impact. And as Jackie described, help you stay in flow consciousness. And in that state, your creativity can flow. You can become less reactive and feel more confident. The biggest thing to remember is that when you are operating from this state, you're no longer operating from that survival part of your brain focused on instant gratification, safety, and comfort. So again, it bears repeating that in order to become conscious creators of our life and less reactive to what life presents to us, we have to become more aware and take notice of how we operate in our life. I fully trust that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was one of my absolute favorite conversations. Drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's resonating. What do you want to hear more about and how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? You can find me on the gram at Sarah Ann Stewart. Until next time, I'm sending you so, so, so much love. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.